green versus blue hydrogen and why you should care. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. Last week, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, released its latest report, and those who have been following the global warming crisis were not surprised by its dire warnings. One difference in the current assessment from previous ones is that the effects of climate change are here now, not off in the distant future. On a positive note, the report showed how catastrophe can be avoided, and in that sense, it was optimistic and should not paralyze people from taking action. The hundreds of scientists who participated in the report said that if we can get to zero carbon emissions, then the warming of the planet should slowly go into reverse. But if we don't, there will be increases in the number of deadly climate events like the recent floods, heat waves, droughts, and wildfires. Getting to zero carbon will require immediate large-scale reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. As the UN Secretary Antonio Guterres pointed out, the viability of our societies depends on government and business uniting behind policies and actions that will limit temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius. He added that the report was the death knell for coal and fossil fuels. For the first time, the IPCC devoted attention to the role of methane in heating up the atmosphere. Methane is a much more powerful greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, but does not stay in the atmosphere as long. The level of methane is now higher than at any time in the past 800,000 years, driven largely by fossil fuels and agriculture. The growth of the pollutant was a result of the boom in fracking under the guise that natural gas was a so-called bridge to renewable energy. Alyssa Oko, a climate scientist with the Environmental Defense Fund, said that cutting methane is the single fastest way to slow the rate of warming right now. One potential fuel that's gaining traction is hydrogen. But how climate-friendly it is depends on how it's derived. Blue hydrogen is being backed by the oil and gas industry as a clean energy source and as a way to continue to use its current infrastructure. But according to Cornell and Stanford University researchers, blue hydrogen could damage the climate more than burning fossil fuels. They say the carbon footprint to create it for heating is 20% greater than either natural gas or coal, and almost about 60% more than using diesel oil. Currently, most hydrogen is extracted in a process called reforming, which uses steam and pressure to convert methane from natural gas into hydrogen and carbon dioxide. The method takes a lot of energy, which typically involves burning more natural gas, and some of the CO2 can leak into the atmosphere, leading to more warming. Green hydrogen, on the other hand, puts water through electrolysis to separate it into hydrogen and oxygen, using energy from renewables like wind or solar. Although there are zero carbon emissions, currently the process is expensive. However, in new reporting by Axios, green hydrogen could become cost competitive with blue hydrogen within a decade, but that would require government incentives. The recent infrastructure bill that passed the Senate did include funding for hydrogen development, but it's vital that the Biden administration understand the difference between blue and green hydrogen. 
it's likely that wildfires raging across the western U.S. could mean less rain. A new study shows that tiny particles in smoke affect the way droplets form in clouds. When wildfire smoke rises, the particles fly up with it and water droplets in the clouds condense around them. The researchers expected that an increase in particles would increase the number of droplets and lead to more rain. While they found that clouds above wildfires had five times the number of droplets than smoke-free clouds, they were half the size. Smaller droplets are less likely to grow into heavier ones that can fall as rain. This can lead to drier conditions on land, which can fuel more fires. And finally, polar bears' favorite food are ringed seals. But on occasion, the carnivores will eat a walrus, which is remarkable, given they can weigh up to 2,500 pounds and have sharp tusks. So how do polar bears conquer and subdue such large prey? According to Canadian researcher Ian Sterling, they lob rocks or chunks of ice at them. Sterling and his colleagues poured through decades of documented Inuit knowledge in Greenland and Canada to reach their conclusion. One account was by Arctic explorer Charles Francis Hall, who in 1865 published an Inuit description of a polar bear hurling a rock from a cliff and calculating the distance and the curve with astonishing accuracy to crush a walrus's skull. Sterling says that while polar bears chucking rocks is rare, it does happen. Another reason to keep your distance from the animals, they could be armed and have good aim. That's it for this week in water. We'll see you next time.